Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is sponsored by Outstanley. If you're a small indie studio or even a big one, and you need that extra push for graphical fidelity, then you would want to give Outstanley a call. These guys can up your game, pun totally intended, for game-ready 2D or 3D assets, animations, and UI to make sure your imagination is completely realized. Outstanley is a one-stop shop for all your visual needs. And as an extra bonus, by being a Game Dev Unchained listener, go to outstanley.com. That is spelled O-U-T-S-T-A-N-D-L-Y.com. And say that you're a Game Dev Unchained listener. And you will get a special discount or bonus production for your order. Guys, game development is already really hard. So why not make it easier by working with these high quality professionals and save some headaches? Again, go to outstanley.com. Dot com, like outstanding, just outstandly, and say that Game Dev Unchained sent you. Good morning, good evening. Whenever you guys are listening to this podcast, I want to spend a second here before I start this episode to thank you for the support and continued support despite of all the changes. And to a lot of you, sudden changes of me being the singular host for the year 2020. All right. You kind of felt it at the end of 2019. And a lot of people are reaching out naturally asking, where's the other guy? Um, I am not publicly ready to kind of share that. I think out of respect and out of privacy, it's an episode that I think whenever Larry is ready to come back, that we'll have a sit down and, and talk things through kind of have a proper send-off. In any case, uh, I am kind of talking about it with the Life Unchained exclusive episodes on our Patreon uh, that is only for supporters. So this is a way for at least the hardcore listeners can at least uh, have some resolve to the issue. Again, I'm trying something new this year. I'm trying to spend a little bit of, of the beginning Kind of going through these uh, fan mails. I don't know if they're called fan mails, but they're emails towards me who listens to the podcast. So I consider that fan mail. Uh, these are emails that are very touching, always asking uh, for advice or suggestions. And uh, I tend to share from time to time. I think it'd be very helpful for listeners out there that have the same questions. And so if you want to uh, add on to this pile, uh, you can email me at info at gamedevunchained.com. And once in a while, I'll read this before an episode just to give some insight, my personal opinion of what's going on out there. To start things off, this is from Robin, and I'll give you complete anonymity. Oh, my God, there I go again. Anonymity to not fully expose you. So this reads as uh, the subject line in the game development. 
And the message is, my name is Robin. I'm 36 years old. I'm living in Belgium. Hello, Robin. Thanks for writing in. I like to show how you can help me in my game development journey. My goal is to make a 3D adventure game. I know it's a lot of work for one guy. There's our there are many disciplines involved, but still, how can I reach that goal? Note that I've recently subscribed uh, to Patreon for DSO. Thank you for subscribing. And I've been struggling for a while about game development. In order for you to better guide me, here's what I know. I have no experience in drawing, but very interested in art. But I do know some modeling with Blender, and I've recently started with Maya. I'm also a good C++ programmer and some knowledge about Unreal Editor and GI Solution in Unreal but I cannot see how to integrate that in games as the GI solutions were discussed in context of ArchViz. Numi tends to make everything high poly, but I do know that would cause issues in performance. What skills do I need and which can I outsource? Please keep in mind, I like to create much as I can, especially in my art and 3D models. How can GSO help me? I apologize. This is a lengthy email. I have high hopes you could help me. I can only hope. But be blunt if necessary. All right. Thank you, Robin, for uh, writing in. So I, I get this email once, well, a lot recently um, in last year, just asking about what directions they can take to start their game development journey. And the most uh, common type of question is that they want to do everything. They have this dream game they want to make, uh, primarily being a game designer and have other interests um, in certain disciplines, so in this case, art. So the rule of thumb when it comes to uh, getting a job in the industry, that's one different, that's one story. And another story is, uh, in your case, Robin, you're trying to make your own game. So this episode is actually very helpful for you to listen. Um, it's a lot, right? Making game is very tough, especially if you're trying to do it on your own especially if you're a beginner. So my advice is just to focus on one thing, specialize in one thing first, get really good at that, become valuable, valuable enough that people uh, value your skills and would want to pay you to do that certain job. Only then can you kind of climb up. If you want to skip all that, if you just want to create a game out of uh, interest and just your hobby and not really looking for for a job placement in the industry you can do that right now there's a lot of um there's a lot of games i feel like aren't really being pushed it's a conversation i've been having a lot lately naturally you want to learn unity naturally you want to learn unreal all these engines that are available out there but for game design i think there's a lot of ready out of the box um editors that are masses games i'm talking about in the likes of dreams uh minecraft um little big planet those type of uh software that allows you to kind of be creative and kind of put your out idea out there with the community without having to learn uh all the disciplines needed to usually create those type of games even game maker uh is a popular type of software that allows you to kind of pick things up and, and execute an idea uh, as such, like a like a des- game designer. What I'm hearing from you is kind of like a game designer kind of um, direction. Uh, and it's never too old. I know you kind of stated at the beginning that you're 36 and uh, living in Belgium. I, if, 
I'm sure there are game companies around there, but not as plentiful as in the States. And so the resources aren't the same. But I think it's probably helpful just to get the juices flowing, get the passion going, because the motivation is the hardest part when getting started on anything new, especially game development. There's a lot of deterrence. Uh, maybe for good reason, because the industry is tough if you want to do it for a living at the beginning of your journey. So if you want to skip all that, you know, learn, learn the fundamentals. But at the same time, you want to start publishing your own ideas in game design form. I say purchase these games uh, mask as uh, as games, but really they're level editors and, and and they give you all the tools you need. Dreams have been picking a lot of buzz lately. Uh, but there's a huge, huge community of early game designers in that that uh, I feel like is underserved uh, or under-recognized, right? I, I think they're replacing a lot of the mod community that used to be dominating in the early 2000s and 1990s. I mean, that's where I grew up in modding. But uh, this is a form of modding, just uh, taking this, this ready out-of-the-box editor and, and being able to create ideas uh, to a community that will recognize you for it. Uh, although there is this weird uh, transition where it's not like you can show me, if I'm an employer at Activision, a little big planet uh, level, and I take you seriously as a level uh, designer. But at least you can practice the concepts with these games and see how it translates into an engine like Unreal Editor uh, or a Unity Editor. Uh, that can be very helpful in a job place, right? You're you're practicing your creativity and not exactly the tools. Uh, and so by doing both, doing the tools and this creativity part, I think it would be very helpful for you and uh, exciting and, and keep the fire burning. All right, hopefully that's helpful. Um, advice. And uh, I've been loving reading these uh, in the comment section of the, the video component of the podcast, but also uh, these personal emails of reaching out. So, again, if you guys have any questions uh, that you would like me for to read on air, <laughs> go to info at gamedevunchained.com. All right. So this episode is a very uh, fun one. And uh, this is with, of course, Richard, as I will introduce him in the episode. Uh, Richard's been on the podcast about two times now. And uh, I have a special synergy with this guy because uh, I worked with him recently at Pocket Gems before I went full time. But we went full time around the same time. And we actually started at Pocket Gems around the same time. And coincidentally, we did the crazy OC to San Francisco, Orange County, which is Southern California for the international listeners. And then San Francisco, which is 500 miles for those who are not looking at a map right now where we would fly into work every Monday and then fly out every weekend to spend time with our family at home. Yeah. So we did that together. Not in the same plane, but at the same time. It was crazy because I thought I was nuts uh, embarking on that journey for about a year, only to find out a month later this guy started at the same place with a very similar trajectory. Um, and as you will listen 
to the podcast, you'll you'll remember and hear for the first time maybe, you know, he, he spent many years in AAA such as myself. Um, and then we, we were at a mobile place for the very first time. And uh, now we're doing our own thing um, for full time, you know, just toughing it out and figuring it out and investing ourselves. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I've always liked talking to Richard. He's just an encyclopedia for game design. I can hear him talk all day. It's priceless knowledge. Well, not really. I told him that he should write a book and like sell for 30 bucks because people will buy it. There's a huge shortage on game design knowledge. But it, it, like what he talks about is just something that just totally makes sense. But in a methodical way, he really um, nails it down. So it's not so... A lot of what game development is, when I hear designers talk about things, it's just, it feels like very oratory, where it's it's like passed down history knowledge. and But like, I, I've always wondered where these guys, what these guys are reading to kind of get on the same wavelength all the time, right? So it's, it's always a joy to kind of talk to Richard and listen to his ideas and uh, how he quantifies game design in a way that totally makes sense. Seriously, go check his his stuff. Um, links are in the podcast description. And uh, he's going to share more of uh, about his game and indie development with his family. Right? That's the main topic of this episode. So uh, enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And joining me this week, a special guest, a returning guest, a favorite guest, uh, <laughs> Richard Q. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing good, man. It's awesome to be here. Uh, excited to talk about game development and... Uh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, well, it's been a while since uh, I know retur- uh, longtime listeners know who you are. But for anyone that is new <laughs> joining us this week for the first time, can you provide a brief introduction of who you are, where you've been, where you're heading? Sure. So last time I was on the show, I was talking about development for uh, Blizzard's Heroes of the Storm. Um and so, yeah, since you asked for the background, uh, I started game development, I guess, in 2004. I was a modder for Warcraft 3. Uh, that got me, uh, with the help of an awesome guy named Alex, a uh, job at Blizzard as a level designer uh, for StarCraft 2, uh, Wings of Liberty, the first one. And then uh, I was working on the second one, Wing- uh, Heart of the Swarm as a campaign design lead then i hopped on to heroes of the storm as a design lead for the core combat systems then i went to riot working on league of legends uh, design lead for uh, gameplay systems so like the 
items and uh, combat within the jungle, uh, objectives, and so on and so forth. Uh, then I went to go do some startup stuff, worked at Wargaming, worked on a bunch of prototypes for new games, because uh, it was Wargaming R&D. Uh, and then most recently, Brandon, you and I worked at Pocket Gems, uh, where I worked on uh, several R&D games and pitches and uh, helped support War Dragons. And now most recently, uh, my family and I started our own video game company uh, called Kuki. So that's where I'm at now. That's a perfect segue to the uh, main topic oh. <laughs> of this episode. I'm just popping in right here. Don't mind me. Sure, sure. Uh, where I want to concentrate on indie game development, which is hard already. And then indie game development with family in particular, right? Which is another layer to that. And I want to kind of track back to your experience uh, because you've done AAA development, obviously. We worked together on mobile game development, but there was a period there where you were doing consulting, working on your startup businesses. Uh, can you expand on that experience? Because that was probably, this is your second or third time doing this, right? So what was your first time like and how are you bringing those uh, uh, learning lessons into this experience and making everything better? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is the first time actually owning uh, my own company and trying to make a game from scratch. Uh, the other startups that I worked at, which is, I've been told you're consulting for them. Like, I don't actually know the the real definition for it. I felt like, you know, oh, it was like a co-founder or a potential partner, you know, like we need to get funded. So we need to build this game uh, or prototype or pitch first. And um I guess that's considered consulting in some aspects uh, because you're not a real team just yet. Uh, and then, yes, as you said, Brandon, I have consulted for other projects as well, um, you know, being paid to do a very specific thing for large companies. Um, like before I was hired at Wargaming, I was actually consulting for them on one of the projects that uh, they were developing within R&D that I had a lot of experience in uh, genre-wise so I could um, consult for them and just give them very targeted feedback. Um, let's see. I actually uh, am going to be consulting again. Um, actually, really quick question for you, Brendan: Is this live or has this come out in the two weeks that we talked about? Because I don't know if I can say exactly. <laughs> so, for, for the people that are listening, we do are we oh. are re- prepared. Um, as in, we do record this uh, beforehand. Uh, surprise! But for the hardcore <laughs> listeners out there, hardcore watchers, uh, uh, this, this is live. But just go ahead and just drop the date. Uh, so obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, by this time, what you're about to share is already up and going. For those who are watching this live, we're about two weeks away, right? So go ahead and feel free to share that information. Yeah. Okay, no worries then. Uh, so uh, so right now, I am uh, working on a game with the family, as I said already. Um, but then as going back to the thing about consulting again, I'm actually going to be consulting for... Uh, Tencent for one of their uh, games and I'm actually already filed in the paperwork so I'm actually starting tomorrow and I've already got like a whole bunch of invites for like onboarding stuff but I'll only be going working on that for um, like part time so I can continue to work on the main project with my family. Um, So you had asked like what's different this time I think like um, I think the difference is that You learn something from every job experience that you do, and it's definitely, uh, you know, an ongoing journey. Like you never, uh, 
you you try to pick up every lesson that you can uh because you love like making games you love like developing stuff and you know sometimes like especially when you're working in games in r d uh it's hard it doesn't work out so you've got to like sometimes balance like risk factors like you know can your can the game that you're imagining actually be made like within the time period that you have uh and um you know, do you think like you'll have enough funds to get through? Like it's sort of like that juggling act. So this time around, like um, you know, we we're building a game within my family. Uh that's just like right now it's like bootstrapped. Like uh we have our own like uh savings that we can live off of and um continue to make the game. And we have a lot of friends that are helping us make it. Um but then there's uh obviously you know you need to make some cash and you know you can withdraw all of your 401k but that's like kind of not very advisable and you can always ask for like money from your family but i haven't really done that um and then or you can go the route that i've taken which is actually leverage a lot of the experience i have consulting and have a lot of experience doing it and um just sort of like see if like where there's opportunities where you can sort of like connect like with people recruiters or people who've reached out to you that have holes in like the uh, development experience in like the development that they're doing that you can help out with so um for tencent i think like that's going to be like the fourth or fifth time i've actually started working like with a, a company to help them out with something in particular uh so it's going to be pretty exciting so Sorry, my yeah. camera is switching right now. But, no, it's uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not used yeah. to this new camera fading thing. Right, right. You like this on. stuff? It's pretty tricky. <laughs> no, no. It's, my it's mouse cool, is cool. my mouse is wireless, but like sometimes it takes a second to wake up when I'm like wiggling it. So I got to prepare that better. Um, okay, the dynamics. All right, talking about uh, working with the family, and uh, I- I'm glad to kind of see how you're taking the lessons learned from last time and keeping the. Uh, income going in and not having to stress that on just this new thing that you're you're figuring it out right uh how has that relationship been with not just your brother-in-law but with your wife obviously uh but also uh working with a relatively new team right uh not just in your relationship with working just with them before on a game but uh i would have to I'm throwing this out there. I'm probably guessing that you're like the most senior out of that group in terms of game development <laughs> industry experience. So how has that been? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's weird because I would never consider myself an industry expert, but then like I realized that I uh, turned 39 like more than four months ago. So I guess I'm yeah. <laughs> by default an in industry. I don't know. It feels weird. Um, I think like that's one quality about trying to make games that's really important is always to like to sort of stay humble and sort of like always look to like learn how to do stuff. Um, I like really enjoy learning how to make things and how to create stuff that's fun and innovative and like interesting. So that's sort of like, you know, in trying to bring uh, my wife and my brother to build this game, like it's it was pretty easy to say, hey, guys, like what are some games that we want to make that are uh, that we've always wanted to like make or stuff that we grew up playing that really inspired us that, you know, when you're working for like a, a large uh, company that's trying to like make a mass appeal game, like you have to think of um, 
you have a huge uh, XX million dollar budget. You've got to think of this target audience. You've got to plan out your development for X years. And, you know, a lot of things are done very um, top down, for lack of a better word. Uh, whereas when you're trying to come up with something with a small group of people, it doesn't matter if it's your friends or family or if your wife or, or partner or husband. It's like you got to think a little bit like, you got to percolate the ideas from the bottom up too, um, because you have that freedom to sort of think about it that way. And that sort of turns into top down because it's like, all right, so what do we want to actually accomplish in the core gameplay? And then we can actually plan out like the bigger picture, which actually is um, one of the ways that we did stuff for several of the projects I worked on, but those were like within well-established, like, um, like, uh, uh, frameworks and stuff so like oh it's a sequel to starcraft 2 or trying to make like a, a competitive rts uh moba uh or or whatever like the stuff that you and i worked on brandon which i'm not sure we're allowed to say yet but um the uh the main thing that is uh important to because i because like you know for for my wife and brother and i like um I have the most experience, so I, I am like the de facto leader. So there's a lot of things that go into making a business that you just sort of want to protect from the team because it's really important that like when you're working on the day-to-day, -day, especially the creatives, that you sort of like protect them from like thinking about stuff that doesn't really matter for the stuff that they want to do because you have to still treat it like a normal game development uh, team where it's like, Hey guys, so let's like come together and talk about what we're going to do for the week as opposed to every day. Um, and there's advantages to that, but also disadvantages to it. Um, but then it's like, you know, in the background, I have to think about, well, my lawyers contacted me about uh, having to register trademarks for this. And, um, you know, we do need to get the website up or, um, I'm going to be talking to some guy on the podcast about like the like game development with family. So uh, what should I say and not say about like the trials and tribulations of making games and stuff with family? Um, but uh, yeah, that doesn't really cover it, Brandon. Can you throw me a question so I can latch on to something? <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're, you're starting to get into like the, the meat of the topic here. Um, you're talking about working with family and, and kind of playing. Well, it, I mean, it's always going to be a blurry line of like uh, a, of a team and then uh, how you talk, which I feel is part of the conversation that's interesting where, you know, how, how do you separate that? Um, well, let's talk about physical space or, or remotely, right? Do you guys work remotely mostly when you do these stand-up meetings or do you guys hang yeah. out in the living room uh, and talk? Paint that picture for us. Wife, how does it work? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So like a kind of like a like a day-to-day -day sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so as uh, I guess like to kind of tie it back to your original question, as the uh, most experienced uh, person, like there are... There's importance to like the daily rituals, like um, in our case, it's more weekly rituals because we can get a lot of stuff done when we are together. Uh, and so we figure out what we're trying to do for the week. And uh, every month, like we plan for like, you know, the next couple months or uh, figure out what the high level goals are and stuff. Um, sorry to be a bit rambly because I think like. One of the uh, things about working as a family is that you don't have to do a lot of retros and stuff. Like it kind of just happens organically. Um, so, like to answer your question about like the the day to day, like it's 
um, we already know what we're going to do. Uh, my wife, like uh, my wife and I split duties with like taking care of the kids in the morning. Um, so it's not like we'll go down into the living room and sit down and work. Uh, my in-laws, uh, my brother, sorry, my, my brother-in-law actually lives in Anaheim and we live in Long Beach. So we can actually go and visit him like pretty often. Uh, like after, uh, after this podcast, I'm going to go grab some food and just go drop by and sort of see how he's doing with like some of the stuff that we've already planned. Um, so I think like part of, I guess, like a lot of the experience that I have is just like in making sure that you stay connected. Like I, uh, so it's not really remote at all. Like if I, if I need to ask him questions, I'll ping him on discord or, uh, uh, Facebook or text or whatever. Um, there's like different response times I found out. Like if I use like Discord versus Facebook, you know? Um, so you got to like sort of measure that as well. Um, and like I'm with my wife pretty much like all the time. So you have to like always, uh, you have to again treat it like work life balance. Like that's really important to not like um, talk about work after like, um, some time like uh past like 10 p.m or 11 p.m but even then that like that's still sometimes like we have something important that we need to talk about that we couldn't talk about because during the day we're like taking care of the kids or like running around doing errands and stuff um i think the big secret about this is that uh our our parent my um my in-laws actually uh, actually can take care of the kids uh, on Fridays, Friday evenings and all of Saturdays. So that actually gives um, Annie and I time to like, uh, you know, go out on a little date for just the two of us so we can catch up with each other. But then also like work all day on Saturday and someday, some of the time on Sundays so that we can actually get a lot of uh, heads down work. Um, my brother, since he doesn't have any kids uh, yet, I don't know, um, he can actually work on the project like pretty much full head of steam like uh, almost every day. But he even balances it out so that he only works from like around 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning to about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And then he just sort of like chills for the rest of the day and like um, plays music, plays games, hangs out and stuff like that. And that's where we usually can catch up with him. Like after the kids are done school in the afternoon, we'll go like we're over um, Anne's parents' house and we're like talking to him and talking to like, uh, like sort of just catching up on the project. But um, if you think about it in a normal work setting, like you have all of these like, um, and sorry, like I'm usually better at structuring all this. I just haven't thought about it in a long time. So I guess it's interesting. Um, you'll have like daily standups. You'll have like, a, you know, a set lunchtime. You'll have like, you know, weekly scrum meetings and stuff. You'll have like monthly um, company meetings and, and whatever, right? Um, in this case, as a family, like you're just sort of like figuring out ways to balance doing work with your normal life as it is. And you're sort of like, uh, you know, the way our family works, like we're always like with each other, like very often. So it's not really a question of um, how to do it in a way that works for day to day. For me, I realized that it's better to plan week to week and sort of just let, you know, Annie and Vic figure out like how they want to do stuff because I don't want to micromanage them. Like that's actually generally what you don't want to do anyway, which is something you learn in, like in nowadays um, people are very empowered to just do their work by x date and um it works really well with family because like um 
we don't have to spend time like you know talking to each other trying to resolve issues or anything like that we're a family and you know we're all like we're all in this together so you know we're not worried about whether someone's like committed or not or whether someone's passionate about a thing and we know each other's like you know strengths and weaknesses like inside and out because like we live with each other and we can talk about things and you know like my brother and i used to work together at wargaming annie and i have worked together on a lot of creative projects before so um it works out pretty well like that um oh my god i've rambled for so long Help no 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 that's, that's perfect i mean <laughs> your rambling is actually going into uh, uh it's leading into a, a, a question from the audience here so uh, there's a sure. ss1 reaper he's asking from our twitch chat uh his question is uh something that you're just talking about right the qualifications of family why work with family is there no learning curve for family members is there time you have to teach concepts and principles and do you outsource work Ah, yes. So that's, that's going right into it. That's good. Um, yeah. So, uh, I would say that like, in terms of experience, I have a lot of experience, like, um, uh, like I can do pretty much a lot of the game design stuff. I still have help though, like friends that are in the industry that, um, can give me like high level game design help, uh, product design and production, I kind of wing product. Uh, I wing producer stuff too. Again, it's only three people. Um, my wife is uh, trained as a 3D artist, but due to the, um, like, because it's only three of us, we're actually settled on 2D sprite art. Uh, so she's very strong at character animations, but uh, there's only so much time in the day that she can work. So we've actually uh, outsourced to, uh, a bunch of people on itch.io who have like some great stuff. Um, damn, I don't have their names right here, but I have it all written down because when we have the credits, I'll have to uh, give them credit for it because I think their work is awesome and I was able to get a lot of environment art there. Same thing with effects uh, art. Like um, because it's 2D, it's a little different than building 3D effects, which she has more experience in. But as 2D effects, it's like very hand drawn and there are some programs that let you create uh, 2D effects that look really nice, um, but it's just a question of time and like what's super important for the game. So there's a bit of the producer sort of prioritization. It's like, you know, environment art can be like not serviceable, but be pretty good. Um, and um, for like character animations, concept arting, uh, that's like more of what my, uh, that's more of what Annie's like specialized in. Um, as far as uh, programming goes, uh, Victor actually started learning to program in uh, several years ago at this point. He taught himself because he realized that one of the key things in all of the other uh, startups that we worked on was if you don't have a technologist, you can fake making your game demo, but then like investors will go, so how hardcore is your, is your CTO? Like, can you build a system that can scale really well? And oftentimes, like, you know, those people are gainfully employed at like really large companies. So it's hard to find like great, really great uh, programmers that can um, build something that can constantly sort of generate value over time. Because part of like what you're doing when you talk to investors or like when you work in AAA is to build a, you know, an engine that can actually scale to make hundreds of millions or possibly even a billion dollars. So, you know, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to find those guys who would want to just sort of work like, um, like uh uh for for equity or for like very low salary right the opportunity cost is just not there um 
my brother and I used to work together at Wargaming. He was actually he started the industry as a uh, as a game designer, a technical game designer, actually, and he um, does require some. Um, so I'm sort of mentoring both of them, like on the ways to think about how to, like, it's like I, it's still my responsibility to sort of level them up to get them from where they're at in their current not career but like in their current skill set because skills are more important than titles in a lot of way it's like you know oh so uh vic we're trying to develop like uh, an item system that uh, the player can interact with that has three or four subcategories and the way that we need to build the back end is so that uh, we can generate a lot of items and then i as the uh as the other designer need to be able to arbitrarily create like uh keys and uh other other sort of like objects clues or whatever and um eventually he's going to help me uh build a lot of that content and that's not something like that kind of system is not something that you see in a lot of like games nowadays because um it's just not something that's super uh you don't see that a lot in like huge like socially driven system driven games um so, you know, when we actually sit down and work on it, well, I'll actually sit down and tutor him about like some ways to sort of think about it. Um, or or like uh, when we're doing like combat design, it's like, OK, so it's kind of like this game and this game sort of smash together. Uh, the way that you balance it is through this sort of uh, this is like where I would start building a spreadsheet and sort of just work with him on it and um leave a lot of like comments for him so he can look throughout throughout the week and then make uh common suggestions, like make sure that we build the engine so that it's very iteratively, uh, so it can develop iteratively uh, very quickly. Um, we're building in unity and um, using like uh, CSVs and stuff like that for a lot of the data uh, backend. Um, and he's doing a lot of custom tools programming so we can do like more advanced stuff like um like cinematics and uh like stuff like that um and then there's like you know best practices in doing that that is all like part bits and pieces from various work experiences so like like timeline is in unity is very similar to the uh trigger editor system in StarCraft 2 where you have um in StarCraft 2 you have conditions uh sorry events conditions actions and then like how you sequence it all together is like done in unity timeline uh so it's very easy to sort of see you know step one two three four five six whatever um and learning how to use that properly he's learning how to program it but then how to apply it as a designer then i can bring in my experience and sort of talk to him about you know how we did stuff back then and um, what would be good um going forward to think of um not only thinking about it as like tools development, but also as a designer. So it's like build a cinematic where when you walk into this area, you check if the player is of a certain level or whatever. A big enemy boss comes out and says, yo, I'm going to kill you. Then a choice pops up that says like, what? Or like, yeah, I'm going to kill you too. And, um, you know, like learning how to like build simple models like that uh, using the tools uh, and like say timeline Relating that to StarCraft II, uh, which he has experience like developing in as a modder, uh, like it's sort of stuff like that that happens like organically all the time. Um, so yeah, I would say that a lot of my job uh, when I'm not trying to plan stuff or do my own stuff is just helping Annie and Victor sort of like you know move up uh, and improve their skill set. Um, oh yeah, yeah I, mean, I remember you asked. 
do uh, do we um sorry um go for it you asked uh like do we uh hire anybody uh i think eventually we will hire folks uh to help out with some areas that uh we're going to need helping to build out the content um in the short term, for instance, like uh, we need somebody to help build like a cinematic trailer, like uh, sort of in like the medium term, we'll need someone maybe to help out with environment art. Um, and then in like kind of like the longer term, like uh, maybe a, like a network engineer so we can help us uh, build out some multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the obviously your family members are, are qualified. They've been in the industry. I think that's the, the the one of the things when listeners start hearing about this is like, you know, the convenience of family is definitely there, but not. Uh, there's definitely going to have to need be a need of qualifications to be able to put a team together <laughs> and be able to do this. I'm not just going to tell my son, my nine year old son, <laughs> some computer skills and be part of my team. Right? It's it's conveniently you have the right people around you to kind of form Malaita team and, and get things going. The working relationship is another aspect that I would love to kind of dive a little deeper into. So we were talking about, you know, finding the time, especially between a husband and wife to kind of balance it and get things done. And uh, it, it's something that uh, is a, is a topic that I've always been interested in working just not just within the industry, just any job with your wife, going to business with your wife, right? Um, it's easy for us to kind of look at deadlines and seeing deadlines missed and then see your wife just chilling on the couch watching Netflix. It's like, don't you have things? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like little moments like that, but how do you, how do you uh, uh, take a step back and be flexible in those times of uh, pressure? Yeah, so the the key I kind of mentioned earlier, which I'll expand on, is the idea that the more modern way of doing work in the creative industry, I think, is... Uh-oh, I think my son's coming in. Hi there, buddy. Look. What is that? It's flower. It barely turns flower. Oh, it's ba- the berry turns into flower. Okay, son. I own a live podcast. <laughs> can you can you go out and close the door? Yeah, uh, not Uncle Bob, but other people. Okay, I'll see you later, son. Uncle Brandon. Thank you, <laughs> Uncle Brandon. <laughs> uh, uh, shout out to uh, one of my best friends from childhood, uh, Bob, who actually is. Uh, so he's he's like. Um, He's like an English major and a lawyer, so he gives us good advice on that kind of stuff. So that's definitely what you need when you're doing a friends and family thing. Like, figure out like what uh, everyone's like superpower is, and uh, try to help them uh, do it. Uh, I'll, I'll just work from that point. So, as like de facto executive producer, it's my job to make sure that the schedule that we have planned out for like the next six months or like the year or whatever. Like we actually can hit it. And a lot of that is recalibration of what the game is and what our milestones are um, and being flexible with it in order to accommodate any sort of like hiccups. And it's not just like, um, oh, whether or not, you know, Annie or Victor can actually hit a goal. It's more like what excites them and what do they feel comfortable with and um, 
if there's anything upcoming in the future that might disrupt their ability to to do anything like last year like victor went um back to canada for a for his friend's uh wedding so we just planned for okay he's taking like two weeks off and you know usually like I mean, that obviously makes sense. Like someone's not going to be around for two weeks. Let's not plan too much for it. But it's also just like, um, you know, you, you also have to that sort of flexibility and recognizing it and that empathy sort of come naturally in a family because like, yeah, you know, like there's deadlines, but like, um, you know, who's going to get hurt if the deadlines aren't hit? I mean, ultimately, uh, the way that we want to uh, build this game is like when it's it's like that old blizzard motto motto like uh what was it uh oh my god i am so sorry any blizzard people i used to work with or anyone who's listening <laughs> right now uh it's done when it's done something uh basically uh we want to make sure that the quality of the game is really good and we want to make sure that uh the uh the game is like when it's ready we'll we'll put it out there um but more specifically to what you had asked like uh because I can actually change what the project is, and we've actually changed the overall creative vision for the project a couple times based off of like feeling out what really excites us, because that's the most important thing, making sure that everyone's passionate about uh, uh, cornerstones in the game. So like, for instance, for me, like I, I really dig a lot of the core gameplay blend that we have. And, um, you know, there's like a there's all creative stakes in it as well not just from like a what's the game but just like the characters that we put into the game and like sort of some of the stories that uh, those characters can tell as well like there's literally a character in our game named Vic who's a chef and actually is like a weird quantum version of Vic if he became a chef instead of a game designer uh so it's like a fun thing for him to sort of like uh think about when he's building the game and um like one of the lessons I learned from a guy I used to work with, uh, Brian Kindrigan, who's actually a narrative director at Ubisoft Montreal right now. When we were working on a pitch together, he said that one of the most important things is that you have like a really strong creative vision that sort of helps remind you on the nights when like things aren't going so well or the build's broken or the there's tons of bugs, which has happened uh, even for our small project. Um that you just remember, this is why I'm doing this, you know? And, you know, like with family, uh, I think it's a double-edged sword at times because like, you know, the person personally. So if you think that they're not pulling their weight, like, it's like, Oh God, you know, you're just sitting there chilling, but you have to remember that at the end of the day, like a game is just a game, meaning like it's like any other project, it's going to ship when it does, whether it takes an extra, you know, uh, three months or six months to get it out there. Like Final Fantasy, like I just read, like my wife just messaged me, like Final Fantasy VII Remake is being delayed and they have like, you know, tons of resources. But, you know, as the fans, you know, you always want to make sure that whatever you do play is awesome. It's like the, oh my God, I'm so bad at naming people, but there's that I think it's a Nintendo, uh, not not Miyazaki. He's the film director. Anyway, um, people will uh, never remember the weight it takes for a great game. They always Miyamoto? remember if it's the a, main guy. Main Miyamoto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you can explain it better than I can. But um, but yeah, Brandon, like the the if if Annie and Victor weren't qualified to do what they were doing what they're doing right now then obviously like it, it we, we we can't 
do it, you know. And so the the so so my role is to make sure that uh, from a from a product development standpoint that the game isn't unreasonable to build. It's actually something that can shape based off of, oh, uh, it took how long for us to do this and that, and um, oh, maybe we shouldn't worry about this type of tech until a little bit later, right? And some of that is, some of that like sort of rejiggering of priorities and what we're working on is like a, it's a very dynamic process. And like, it's something that we can discuss openly amongst ourselves and just be very straightforward with it instead of like sort of hiding behind things and saying like, oh, it's because this guy or this guy like didn't do his job like when you're a family uh when you're a team size uh core team size of three there's not really much to hide behind so there's uh definitely times where it's like you're just like damn i really messed up and i need to uh you know like do my job better um but then we're also you know we're a family so we can sit down and talk about it too so we can like you have to be able to like flip the switch and go between work and family pretty effortlessly when you are doing work but then when you're in family time there needs to be a pretty hard wall between like separating those two so it's like if you're in work then you it's better to like flip to being supportive or being supported uh because like you know your family and you don't have uh infinite time to let things dwell whereas like when you're trying to do family time like that's just family time and you don't you don't touch it at all and you make sure you set up some good times for it so that and you don't violate those. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge oh. topic on its own uh, because mm-hmm. um, well, I mean like the, the journey is always going to be on the developer's shoulders, right? Uh, just remembering the, the bad times, the good times, whatever, but the end product is essentially what the consumer is going to see, right? Whether it's really good or bad, so if you have the patience, especially with the small indie team, what I've learned is if you have the right people around you to kind of truck through that journey, however long it takes, right? Especially if you guys don't have an expiration. I mean, deadlines are important, but like we are going to sit here and figure this out together through the good times and bad. You're going to be a successful team is what I found um, by the end of it, right? Because uh, with any type of, I think relationship right i think with any business relationship of any type especially making a game uh it's easier to kind of sever ties with someone who doesn't live with you right yeah. uh, this, is the, this is the old argument of like uh being in a marriage right um you know if you're just a boyfriend girlfriend or whatever uh if things aren't working out the the choice the option of walking away seems a lot easier uh, than having a marriage or kids involved, right? You're more willing to kind of try again and and figure things out, or or at least give it extra time to really see if there's another way. Uh, you're not so quick on impulse to kind of call it quits and 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 just forget all the progress that uh, we've made together, right? So I think that the, the the big benefit right there is working with family is that you have the patience with each other. You know each other better and you, you know that no matter what happens, you'll be there for each other. 
uh, at least at Christmas dinner, right? <laughs> I mean, not, not saying that all family are close, but I'm just saying uh, you're more willing to kind of take that chance and 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 really ride that mileage out as far as you can take it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That to me yeah, is the, something oh. other small studios or smaller teams don't have the patience for. The patience is what kills, I think, most studios or most game development. Uh, on a small or big scale, mm-hmm. to be honest, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The um, a lot of the yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to frame this correctly. The there's a there's definitely a benefit for working with family if uh, everyone is aligned on the idea that this is a journey we want to get there there are things that we can accomplish in this project that you can other projects this is an opportunity um for like my wife my wife for instance like uh, annie she's like like taking care of the kids a lot but there's an opportunity for her to actually split time between just doing that and actually um building out characters and animations and uh enemies and stuff like that which uh she otherwise wouldn't have had really a chance at doing so this is like a way for her to like sort of um re-explore like the stuff that uh got her passionate to like learn uh 2d art 3d art in the first place and like reconnect with concept art and stuff like that uh you know and i think like for me the the you know there's always going to be trials and tribulations of uh building a game um but we're family so we stick together we can't really walk away cuz it's like oh yeah i quit oh hey um i'll see you at dinner tonight you know it's like it's not so much like that's in a in a sort of a weird uh way it's forcing you to work through the problems which uh definitely is part of the process of building out any team there's the whole forming storming norming performing thing and like figuring out like you know what everyone's like interest is in the project um when you're talking to people who don't plan like that because it's just not really like i mean you know brandon it's like when you're working on like a new like you go to a new company you need to figure out who everyone is how everyone works and like figure out everyone's personalities and like you know everyone's tics and sort of stuff like that you know with with like working with family it's like you know you go through all of that and you know that you're in it together and you're definitely um improving your skills with each other and you're you're, you're sort of in the long run going to be sort of like a stronger core which is um which is definitely not – I think like uh, there's definitely companies that start like that. But then when they get really, really big, it's hard to feel that sort of like – you know, when they say, oh, this is a family-run business. It's like – or family-feeling business or whatever. Like uh, it's not necessarily true because like unless you're like part of like the intimate cords or like the really inner circle, it's yeah. not really something that like actually is true. Yeah. Um, I do yeah, want to but- say that a lot of like what we're doing is – the the cost is underwritten by like uh savings that we have and like you know getting that consulting uh job with uh for me with Tencent to sort of help pay the bills and sort of help things keep going on but there is there actually is a time limit to this like you can't like for instance like you know if you're a small indie game developer you don't want to put out your game like in november or december like because then you would just be crushed by all triple a studios so you know if you want if your goal is and our goal is to ship our game in uh fall of this year 
it's like uh you know we do need we do have a very like tight goal that we have to hit right and that's always a, a fine balance because you 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 have that flexibility with family to kind of talk through things and and figure things out and be there for each other but having realistic deadlines just is the only way to get things done um and and be competitive because the market is always changing and you have to be aware of that and i think that's where your experience really comes into play just realistically painting out the landscape out there it's like hey we can't just release this whenever we want the content uh the subject matter that we're dealing with it's very specific for a certain genre of people uh, that we need to hit at, at these dates or whatever. I mean, this is your marketing hat mm-hmm. um, coming into <laughs> student development. Uh, you kind of briefly mentioned something that I've ever never really heard of the terminology for. You were so- talking about like the norming, forming, running. What were you saying? Running and forging? What What is that? Uh it's it, it's uh oh my god um, it's like game design voodoo oh i remember now <laughs> okay <laughs> no i i think like uh anyone who talks to me long enough realizes i just like to use a lot of analogies references and i just pick up little nuggets of information here and there uh this particular one was from uh when i was working at riot the chief or i'm uh, he was a I think it was chief HR officer at the time. His name is Jerry Prochaska. He actually is the founder of Gadme Games in Arizona. So if you're interested in uh, that, you should check it out. They've got a really cool uh, survival game premise. Um, the Jerry told me that like uh, part the four stages that a company goes through, uh, that a team goes through is that. So forming is when you get everybody together. That's step one. Step two is storming when everyone's like past that initial, like, oh my God, this is great. I got a new job too. What the fuck? Like I have to, you know, do all these things a certain way. This, this, my boss like sucks or whatever. Right. Uh, then um, norming is when you get used to it and when you start making some progress and uh, performing is when obviously you're really like uh, putting out a lot of great stuff and uh, you're able to work together. It's very similar to like a, like a curve as it were, which sort of maps like your enthusiasm for a game, like your passion and your sort of like overall happiness alongside uh, like your, your productivity. Uh, like when you're in management long enough, you generally think of people uh, that you manage as like, you know, uh, how well are they producing? What's their potential? There's like another paradigm, like a, a nine square where it's like, you know, low, low potential, low output and high potential, high output. And there's like all these different strategies that you use for managing all of that. Um, but I think the one that's most important to me is the uh, norming, the forming, forming, uh, storming, norming, performing, because it's got a lot of INGs, so it's easy to remember. But it's it's a good way to sort of like uh, when you're in management to think about when you bring a new person on, the whole team goes back to forming in a minor, uh, more or less like a, like if you have a team of like 20 people, adding one more person doesn't change much. For instance, but if like, say between me, Victor and Annie, there's only three of us. If we add like one more person, like that's going to be a pretty big uh, change to things. So, you know, if we did want to think about adding someone, uh, which we will eventually, uh, it, we'd have to. I'd have to think about how that actually would play out with the team dynamics and how we work, and you know, um, how how like work is communicated, and you're like kind of resetting the way that the team works uh, whenever you add someone new to a team. 
Man, tell me when you get that book out, dude. Like these are terminology that totally <laughs> makes sense. Uh, I mean, we've all lived through this um, as a game developer, but even on personal projects, right? The enthusiasm at the the beginning and getting past that little really that high. curve, that hump, right? That little high. Mm. Yeah, yeah the, like most people die uh, on the hill of stor- <laughs> storming, right? I mean, that's where most people yeah. stop um, because it gets so hard and difficult to kind of work with people and kind of manage time and sinking and and just getting goals. Uh, wow, that I mean that 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 pretty much sums well, up game development right there. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah, it's uh, yeah. there's there's actually a really cool. Um, like uh, another thing I learned uh, when you're just like trying to plot your own progress uh, in, in your career, there was always, it's always going to be, uh, I think it's a sine wave or cosine wave. Is it a cosine wave? Just a sine wave? Just uh, whatever. Uh, anyway, so there's always going to be ups and downs. And if you think about plotting your entire life in terms of like a, a wave, and then you think about all the times where it dips downward. Uh, and then you hit like a point where it could go further down or go back up. Like, and then you think about the decisions or the things that you've done, uh, or things that other people have done that have helped you either go up or go down. Uh, you try to control those inflection points where it could have gone really high up or it could have gone uh, further down. And it's important to know how to manage that because, like, understanding what causes it allows you to sort of like. Um, put yourself in a situation where you create more opportunities to go up instead of continue going down. And then it also helps you like um, be accountable for things that you've done that not only um, cause you to go down, but also allow you, you don't know, pat yourself on the back when you rise up. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's so many like, like random bit management things like that you can do to sort of like uh, manage that stuff. And like, um, yeah, sort of like this is the stuff that like when you're especially with a family team, like it's so important to sort of keep that sort of in mind. Uh, you know, it's not like every day I think, oh, how's the inflection point of my brother-in-law? Is he actually, you know, it's like you don't do that. But it's just more like um, it's important to think of like what tool you need for whatever situation um, as appropriate, you know. Um, you know, there's also like disc, like, uh, you know, um, our personalities, like uh, how does my personality map against like Annie's personality maps against Victor's personality? Like what are triggers that happen like between say, uh, I'm more of a DI, DC type of personality, more so DI in a lot of cases now, which is odd. Um, it's not, never thought I'd ever be a DI. Uh, and then like how does DIs work with say, you know, SCs, you know, uh, and the, I mean, this, this is a rabbit hole that can go on forever, but luckily it was only three people. So it was very easy to figure out. Well, go with that rabbit <laughs> hole. It's like, you, the, I'm, I'm sure this is an acronym that it stands for DI. I mean, can you can expand that a bit about personality traits essentially, oh, right? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. Personality traits. So, uh, it's a four square thing. D I S C. So disc, mm-hmm. um, you go through it by answering a bunch of questions and you usually do this as a team so that like you can share your results with other people. Um, I don't, because I've never been rated as an S uh, for any reason whatsoever. Uh, I don't know what, uh, so, so a person gets like a dominant trait, whether it's DISE uh, and a uh, not dominant trait. Again, I'm such a high D, which uh, is dumb is uh short for dominance 
Um, a lot of my other friends have said that who are also have high D trades are also just known as dicks, which is kind of funny because <laughs> my name is Richard. So some people call me Dick. But anyway, like yeah. people with like high D's are very like dominant. They want to like push things forward. They want to uh, the they're extroverted. They're type Leaders. A, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Le- leader types. Um I is more for influencer, um, you know, trying to convince people. So like a combination of D and I is someone who's like, uh, frankly, like our presidents have to be like good orators in order to influence people. And then usually they're all very strong personalities. So you see that in like, uh, like leaders, um, again, like all of our, uh, presidents, um, S uh, uh, I need to look that up again. I'm really bad about remembering Sadist. what S is, but I, I know <laughs> Sadis. Yes, uh, I think it's. it's uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I know. I only know like three or four S's it's, in my life. Um, I'll, I'll but they're, they're very it social. It's not. It's not so. Yeah, I, I'll ch- check it out sometime. But S is very like. Um, they they want to. Uh, they want to chat. They want to. Uh, <laughs> it's like when you go up to somebody, like a D personality, but you're like, "Hey, Brendan, how's it going?" Um, so yeah, uh, can you finish that uh, that next pass on the on the War Dragons new level, like um, now? You know, like that's more of a D personality. Whereas an S would be like, "Hey, Brendan, how was your day? Like, how did the podcast go? You know, um, how's your wife and kids?" And very mo- uh, much more into social. <laughs> I'm really bad. Um, anyway i know that i I don't know (laughs) that's not that uh i i i just know that when i talk to somebody and if uh it's better to ease them into the work conversations then uh i have to remember that because Mm -hmm. i'm very work oriented Um, steadiness i found uh, it steadiness steadiness there you go steadiness yes patience because work inherently yeah patience patience i am Unfortunately, not that patient. Uh, and C is a conscientiousness, which is um, more like being able to like laser focus down and actually, uh, you know, get stuff done. Um, you know, so uh, I used to be a, a DC when I was working at Blizzard because it was very much like I want to influence the game, and I have a lot of knowledge and I have a lot of thoughts on how to make whatever game we're working on great. But then. Uh, conscientiousness is okay now i have the tools in front of me i'm going to spend more than half my day just making all the systems happen all the content happen all the fix all the bugs get the play test ready and so on and so forth um and that's generally like sometimes called individual contributor work um and the reason why i don't do that as much is because of just so many responsibilities into like uh you know leading teams and owning your own business, I guess. Uh, and that, that just takes away from your ability to do, you know, uh, IC work, not IC as in disc, but IC as an individual contributor work. Wow, man. So this is what you guys Uh, talk about in those game design circles. I always wonder (laughs) while like all the artists are learning software. No, 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 no. no. This, this is, this is actually more team management stuff. If you want to talk about game design stuff, then I, I will happily, like break down all of the references for like say any of the games I've ever worked on right. and um, the specific parts of it. So, so, you know, whenever you talk to me, Brandon, like, sure. Like when we were at pocket gems, I was director of game design. So that's, it's not so much like game design director or game director. It's more about how is the company doing game design in general and how can we make that better by making game designers say work better with 
you know, non-game design disciplines. And, you know, so that's where a lot of these paradigms work. But at the end of the day, like I need to sit down and actually like plan out, okay, what kind of skills should the characters have? What kind of enemy abilities should there be? Um, what's the difficulty of like the damage they throw out? How much power do they have? What's the damage curve look like? How the animation's going to look? What's the decision tree that the player has when using this ability versus that ability? And tie that in with like, you know, how does the character move around the map? Like, um, what are some of like the goals that sort of motivate them to go from room A to room B? Um, how do they interact with like other characters? Like, is there currencies that they're earning that they care about using? When can they use it? What are they buying? Potions, save points, and so on. And then like the overall stuff, like you know, what does the environment look like? What's this, like the high level story? You know, you have there's like another theory that I learned actually at a at a pocket gems on episode, the umbrella theory where you have an overarching sort of story and then you have small sub acts in between. Cause that kind of looks like an umbrella. Um, you know, so like that's the stuff that I'm working on uh, now. Cause like we're, our project's more in like production. So we're now it actually matters what like the little humps, uh, what the beats are. Uh, so that's actually more of like what game design in a very, uh, yeah whatever it that's what game design is more or less but the all that other stuff i just said that's kind of more like the producer team management stuff uh which is why i never actually like to say that i am a producer but i suppose that if my game designer friends see me talking about this they'll think wow what a producer like uh or something i don't know (laughs) i'm just trying to get stuff done man (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you're definitely uh uh, well making me earn well give respect to these disciplines because i had no idea how they were able to uh i mean they summed it up so well like all these things that we're struggling where i've never really put a terminology to it or as we're kind of feeling it out working with people did not know that I was labeling them uh, indirectly as a disc type of personality. Or, <laughs> uh, you're an SI. I'm going to say these things now SI, that yeah. most people no, you, don't have any reference that, yeah. to. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and just leave it at that. <laughs> Think that I'm just like yeah. uh, insulting them in their face. There's there's three major ways to go about it. Um, like disc is definitely the most commonly used one there's briggs myers which i think is more of like a psychology test so you can't ask someone what their briggs myers sort of results are and that one's a bit more um less used in a professional setting there's also strengths finder which helps to figure out like um like what your personality type is both at work and at home i mean all of these like personality tests help to determine who your what your work personality is and what your your life personality is so like when you go home like if you're not naturally someone who likes to talk to a lot of people it's actually easier to think of it this way if you're like introverted but then you go to work and you're forced to talk a lot um, about yourself or to other people then it drains a lot of your energy so then when you go home the difference between who you are at work uh, and who you are at home, that causes a certain amount of exhaustion. Uh, It costs energy no matter what, because you have to sort of like rethink the way that you talk about stuff um, before you talk about it. Um, I fortunately am just the exact same person at home as I am at work. So it doesn't, I just, that's part of the reason why I think like I'm able to keep working like uh, almost nonstop um, because I just, uh, just do things like the way that you know uh, 
the exact same way all the time. But I do try to flex the way that I uh, approach things depending on who I'm talking to, what the project is, time of day, you know, so on and so forth. So that that's like situational management, which is a totally different topic, but something that I worked on when I was at uh, I don't know when at this point, maybe like over five years ago or something. Well, you're exactly describing me because when people talk <laughs> to me at work, they just assume that I'm this extrovert, love to talk, love to joke around, which I do. But at home, at least in our own inner social circles, I like to kind of turn off. Like I want to be, yeah. I'm a very close. I like my time to myself and kind of regroup and not have to perform. And that's the thing that I always yeah, equate it yeah. to. And so it's something I have to fix too because, you know, it's boring when when I don't talk. <laughs> I'm the most interesting yeah. person in the room, right? So <laughs> you, you, you are. No, no, um, actually, uh, sorry, I the way that I, my mind works is somewhat um, – it kind of annoys people sometimes because, like, I'm just trying to – like really create a very um, complex picture and make sure it's really um, well formed out. But as you said, like people at home when they're working on, like when they're just themselves, um, that's what's really key about working with a family. Like you have to know, you have to be able to read like, oh, this person is just relaxing now. I'll just bug them tomorrow and then rely on the sort of like the high level schedule that you set. And then you trust them to, sort of figure out when they're going to like they'll figure out the right way to get stuff done um if not then you'll just talk to them about like how can we plan stuff better and but you don't you don't call it a post-mortem or a retro or anything like that because that's just not um it's too formal sounding you know especially for like family members who are um more into wanting to make creative stuff and not really think about the the process as much like you know like uh early in like you know like people uh, earlier in their careers before they understand like why that kind of structure helps like they they just want more time to work on themselves or they're introverted and they like to sit down and do their thing um i think what's key to keep like say my relationship with any like really healthy is that when we want to just unplug we just play games like that's like the number one like point of the, the number one thing that any and i have in common like we have so many different games in common that we just sit down and just play whatever so like yesterday we were playing Overwatch. We lost like five games. We said F this. And then we started playing like Children of Morta, which is a roguelike RPG on Switch. And then or like the day before that, we were talking about like Pokemon, Sword and Shield, new updates and uh, Pokemon XY, you know, all these different games and stuff like that. Um, so it's important to know like, like how to balance that, you know, like if you know yourself, Brandon, you know, like, oh yeah, like I want to just chill out now. Um, you can communicate that to people like in, when you're working like a really tight together, like indie, like uh, like this and, um, you know, that then work can sort of like flow around it. Yeah, man. And that's, I think, a perfect ending to this one hour podcasting. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for your time and anybody that is watching us live for asking all the questions. But this is also my uh, uh, my time to shut up, uh, hand over the mic <laughs> so that you can shout out, give attention to tell people how to find you and all that good stuff so people can follow up. With the great Richard Q. I'm gonna call you Dick Koo for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, I've lived with that. Uh, so uh, I kind of hinted at the throughout the the uh, podcast, but you know, uh, 
Annie, Victor, and I are working on an RPG. Uh, this is kind of like a uh, it's a turn-based RPG inspired by Super Mario Saga, uh, Metal Gear Solid, and Phoenix Wright. So it's a very odd combination, um, but I think that we have something that is pretty unique. Uh, there's a the game is called Mage Hunter. Um, we are currently working on the website, so if you're watching this live, it's not there yet but we're actually working on it and we want to have it out um, by the time this podcast goes out. Uh, I think January 28th. Um, eventually uh, you, you can reach me uh, through uh, Richard at uh, kooky.com uh, K H O O K E Y. Um, but again, that's not set up yet. We're trying to figure that out right now. So it's kind of like building a plane that's being tossed off the edge. Um we are going to have like updates, like I'll do a, de- a dev blog, like I'll update it um, a couple times a month, uh, let, ha- let people know how progress is going. Uh, we're currently working on the demo of the game um, that you can just play through a chunk, um, just trying to get all of the systems up to snuff so that it's pretty standalone, so that if you don't know anything about the game, you'll be able to just sort of play it. That's our goal, so that when we actually kickstart the project in a couple months, uh, it would be ironic to kickstart it around when Final Fantasy VII comes out. Um, not sure if that's a good time to kickstart it, but hey, you know, um, them the bricks, uh, or Persona 5 Royals. The... Um, you know the core gameplay is uh, I think it's pretty fun. Like uh, like I said, it's a combination of like turn-based like decision making with stealthing to move around. Uh, you know, there's a cute dog who's your sidekick. The main character is uh, is like a CSI investigator with magical powers. So it's kind of a weird one, uh, especially for people who have known me in the past as like RTS PvP guy. This is a single-player PVE game. The game ends. You buy it once, and there you go. Uh, so yeah, we're working on that. Um, please check it out. Like, uh, I'll probably post it on social media. No, I'll definitely. We'll def- I'll probably. We'll definitely post it on social media. So feel free to reach out um, and ask questions. And uh, yeah, look forward to getting what you guys think about it. Awesome. So as you guys are listening to this, and again, live, you're getting a special preview. This is the 28th of January. That means all the links that (laughs) Richard had provided is up. His website is up. His Twitter account is up. Everything is up. Links in the description will be... Oh, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, and Twitter, yeah. On the podcast (laughs) description. Go over and click over. I promise you it's going to be great stuff. It is great stuff because it is out. And so I'm looking forward to uh, going there right now, right after this is done. So, Richard, I want to thank you again. And uh, you're going to hear a lot of Richard uh, on this podcast because we're great friends and we want to help each other in every way. We share similar phase because uh, that's another uh, talking point that we didn't really uh, expand on because we were uh, commuting up to San Francisco together, being based in Orange County. And now we're going to our own business at the same time. So it's a lot of uh, fun, fun points there that I'm sharing with Richard, this life experience. But you have two kids too, right? Yeah, I do. Um, four and six years old. Um, that was my son right. who, who just turned six like a couple days ago. Um, talking about berries turning into flowers. Yeah, it's uh, also we have two kids, so it's a uh, it's and we're uh, Asian, another obviously. point of commonality. We should. <laughs> uh, 
I'm pretty sure I'm Asian. The, yeah, <laughs> well, no, I know you're yeah. right. Uh, you know, we should get, we should <laughs> we should catch up some time over at uh, Spectrum. And, we will, uh, you know, we will eat, a, uh, eat more I'll, soul food. Yeah, of course. Good, I'll man. link up with you soon. I'm gonna go offline. I want to thank yep. you everybody for joining me or listening to me again. You can watch us uh, the recording of this. There's a video recording of this on our YouTube.com forward slash Blue Champs, uh, and follow us on Twitter. Go to our Discord channel, and uh, that's it. See you guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody